So uh, we offer now our bodies as living sacrifices in view of all that mercy. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Friends, uh, we have been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount as a way of situating and orienting our church, our common identity as kingdom citizens, as people of God in in the heart of what we see as Jesus's kingdom project. So uh, the kingdom of God is about a way of being, a way of living under the lordship of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is sort of the constitution of the kingdom, right? Instead of amendments, there's just beatitudes and teachings, right? Today, friends, today, we proclaim the good news. In, in a world where the powerful use their morality to get what they want. In a world where the powerful use morality or rule following to get what they want, today we proclaim the good news. That God's powerful love meets us in our wants and saves us from using others and using God. Today, in a world where the powerful use morality to get what they want, today we proclaim that God's powerful love meets us in our wants and delivers us, rescues us from using others and using God to get what we want. So uh, I, I use the internet at home. Anybody else? And the internet at home has been rubbish the last three days. Three days. Three weeks. <laughs> it's, been, it's been almost since 1987, if we're going to be honest about it. Uh, no, so it's been rubbish, and um, I'm not proud of this, but probably in my top five most embarrassing sort of character flaws, um, your top five of my character flaws may be different, but these are the ones that uh, I'm particularly embarrassed about, is, is the way that I treat waiters and customer service reps. Now, most of you aren't with me when I'm on the phone with Comcast, uh, but many of you have been with me when we've been with waiters, and you know who you are. There's no need for a show of hands. Um, and so I'm on the phone with this customer service rep from Comcast this, uh, this week, and I've been resisting calling them, hoping it would just get better, because I can't stand not talking to an actual person, but talking to a script that a person is reading me. And I have to figure out like, how to get you off script because I know your script is not going to help me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so it feels like this. I, like I try to be patient. I try to be polite. I hit zero 43 times to get through the six and a half minute uh, you know, uh, automated thing. And I finally get to a person, and uh, you know, it's, it's, very, it, it's the same script every time. Hi, what's your name? Give me your email. And I'm just, I've already entered all this. What's, what's your phone number you're calling from? You already know that, so I give them that. So anyway, all this is happening. And then they're like, tell, tell me what's going on. And I tell them the problem, and there's all... Now, this is new, like in the last four or five years. I can appreciate how that's a really hard problem. Let's do everything we can to solve that today, right? So, like, uh, I'm all for empathy, but, like, when you're, like, when you're, <laughs> when you're, like, giving me, like, f- like, fake empathy, something about it makes me want to, like, punch my phone. So, uh, anyway, I, I go through, like, a 20-minute conversation with Comcast. They're transferring me to people to solve my problem. And then, as I'm on hold, uh, listening to the Comcast hold music... Um, the call drops, and I don't get a call back. And I dislike it greatly. So I finally call Comcast back, uh, and they have somebody coming out this afternoon to take a look at our internet, 
Um, uh, so that, that's going on. I also uh, got um, a new phone this week uh, from Apple and had some issues setting up my new phone, and I called Apple Care, which is like a magic carpet ride. I feel like Aladdin uh, when I'm calling Apple Care because there's, there's they actually talk to me like a human being, and I don't have to play this game where I've got to say things to you that aren't true so I can get what I want. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Friends, we live in a world of relationships with dynamics of power. Where issues, uh, sometimes they're, they're banal issues, like my internet's not working, but sometimes they're issues of justice, issues of right and wrong, issues of good and evil that are at stake. And we live in a world where even when you're not dealing with explicitly sinful things, like my internet, even though it's rubbish, it's not sinful. It's just doing what the internet does, which is be psychotic, <laughs> right? Even when we're not dealing with issues of sin and, and, and righteousness, there are power dynamics at work that impact our relationships and how we treat each other. I remember several years ago, uh, ben and I were with some friends out at, at dinner after we were doing a workshop. We did a workshop on discipleship. We went out to dinner, and so it was about four of us. And we're having dinner, and it's, uh, we're four professional Christians, right? Uh, on, on, not on the clock, though. We're just kind of hanging out at a restaurant. And we have, a, we have this waitress. Uh, she tells herself her name's Nicole, and she's, she's helping us. And we're, like, having fun with her, and she's kind of having fun with us. And she comes back to the table, and we're like we're praying over our appetizers and, and beers. And it like catches her. She's like, oh, you guys are Christians. And, and then one of us are like, we're not, we're not just Christians. <laughs> we are pastors. <clears throat> and it kind of blew her mind. She was like, but you guys are drinking beers. And we were like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so we had this like pretty cool kind of thing that was happening with Nicole, right? And she's like, I, that's just never happened before. I, you guys are... You guys, seem, you guys seem nice. And we're like, well, well it's because we are. You know? And like we're having this conversation. Uh, and over like, a, like, you know, she keeps coming back to the table and we keep getting, we order some food and we get another round of beers later. And over the evening, she begins um, kind of opening up to us about being a waitress. Um, telling us stories about how her manager has had to protect her from some customers who get aggressive and even abusive and, and relationally violent towards her. And we're, we're sort of just like, our hearts are breaking here. And she brings her manager over. She brings another waitress over. She ends up telling us, hey, I, uh, my name's not really Nicole. It's, it's, it's Justine. And we're like, why did you? Why did you lie to us? Like, why did you tell us your name was Nicole? And she's like, because um, I've had, because I, don't, I never would use my normal name as a waitress. She said, waitressing is essentially stripping with your clothes on. And uh, you, like, your customer has the money that you need to live, and you use whatever you can within limits to get that money. Flirting. Um, and she said, if, 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 it's a, if it's a male customer, it's a little too dangerous for them to know exactly who you are because Facebook is a thing. Like, Facebook is a real thing. 
Friends, we live in a world of power dynamics where people can't get what, they feel like they can't get what they want. And so they have to like, either they have to hustle and hide in order to feel like they get the good life. Whether the good life is money to pay rent or flipping internet that doesn't drop every 16, 16 times an hour as you're on a call. But today, friends, where the powerful use, use morality and rules to get what they want, today we proclaim the good news. That God's love, his powerful love, meets us in what we want and rescues us, frees us, liberates us from using God and using people to get it. Now, this is super important, friends, because our text today uh, is dealing with things that you've all heard, like we've heard the sermon. If you've been a Christian for 20 minutes, like the Sermon on the Mount is not new, right? And so there's this, uh, there's these three, basically three takeaways. Typically, when we get to this text, this is what I've heard in the past is, don't lust. Don't get a divorce. Stop me if you haven't heard this. And don't take oaths. And so the Sermon on the Mount, in this fashion, is treated as Jesus ramping up the law to become even more serious and hard. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I want to suggest to you that that is a misreading of the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus isn't trying to make it more difficult to follow him. Jesus isn't giving us a heavy yoke so that later he can say, take up the easy yoke. But rather, Jesus has said, blessed are these people. Blessed are the poor, the meek, right? That was a hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, these people are blessed. And now he's going through the Old Testament law and the commandments, not systematically. You notice he's not going through all 10 commandments and saying, you've heard it said, I say to you. He's like going through different phrases from the law and he's explicitly teaching on different commandments. Notice this. He's explicitly teaching on commandments that are used to oppress and marginalize and manipulate and take advantage of those without power. Jesus is engaged in a highly prophetic critique about how People who are in charge religiously use God's word to take advantage of and exploit people who don't have any power. So uh, notice then, let's just, let's just notice then how he does this, okay? So in, uh, starting in verse 27 of Matthew Chapter 5, all kinds of questions are brought to this text because we extract it out of the Sermon on the Mount and make it a standalone teaching. <laughs> we forget the blessed are the poor and the meek. We forget the righteousness that extends far, far than the Pharisees. Let me say something about that really quick because we preached on that a couple weeks ago. Ben, you that slide? So the righteousness that extends beyond the Pharisees, deep in the Pharisees, is a righteousness that doesn't just deal with what, is the, what does the word say and how do we do it? But it's a righteousness that gets down into our guts, our splachna is the Greek word. There you go. Do you like that? You have to write that one down in splachna. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a... 
It's what drives and motivates us. What, do we, what, do we, what moves us? This is what Jesus is saying. The law is meant to get us in touch with being moved by love. Next week, we're going to talk about, about love. Jesus is reorienting the law so that it's used, not by powerful people to take advantage of powerless people, but so that we can actually, in our guts, be moved by love. Be moved by love. But questions are brought to this text that don't, un, like, don't situate it in that context, right? Questions are brought to this text like, can I get a divorce? Has my spouse committed porneia? That's another Greek word. Sexual immorality. Or can I get remarried? Was my divorce legit? Or how do I deal with sexual sin? Well, I gouge out my eyes. These, these are the ways we treat and use this text. I mean, has anybody not heard it used like that? Yeah, yeah, right. This is the way it's typically used. But here's the situation Jesus is teaching into. Please follow me on this. Women in Jesus' day were, were essentially powerless. There was property, there were kids and women, and then there was men. And between kids and women and men were slaves. <laughs> okay? Now, we could talk about this for three weeks. But essentially, women were a step above property in terms of their rights and power and, a st- and freedom and a step below slaves. So that's the situation we're dealing with here. So women were held responsible for male lust. And if you don't believe me, there's no reason why you wouldn't. But if you don't, this, this is, we see this in uh, John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, right? And she's thrown down. And uh, who's not there? The guy. Why isn't he there? Well, it's her fault. So women were shamed and blamed for their bodies and males' responses to it. Have we changed in 2,000 years? I'll come back to that. So women were held responsible for male lust, and women had little to no power if their spouse wanted to divorce them. Remember, if you don't believe me, and there's no reason you wouldn't, remember in Matthew chapter 1, when, when Mary is pregnant, and it said Joseph, being a righteous man, was going to put away his wife quietly. The righteousness was, I'm not going to drag you in front of the town and point at you and say, she listens to Katy Perry. <laughs> and watches MTV. But he's going to do it quietly, like, you know, like, but Joseph was going to do it. Because why? He had the power. Okay, so women didn't, uh, women were blamed for men's lust, and women had no, little or no power about divorce. So this changes a bit, this teaching then, right? What's going on here? Let me read it with those two things in mind. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman 
Who's the you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there was no word for lesbian in Jesus' day. And even if there was, that wouldn't have been a concept in ancient Hebrew. So he's talking to men. But I say to you, dudes, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his desire. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This would have been radical, friends, because it's the woman who would be thrown into hell because she caused me to lust. And Jesus is saying, not only can you not discard the woman, you better tear your eye out before you tear her away. Come on. Is that not good news for a powerless woman? Is that not like the stinking best thing? Like if you're, if you're Mary Magdalene listening to this, you're like, is anybody writing this down? <laughs> this is good. Like who brought, the t- who brought the tape recorder? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members and for your whole body to go into hell. He's saying, dudes, stop blaming women for your heart issue. Stop using God's rules to hurt the powerless. All right, can I add one more thing to this? One more thing to the context. So many rabbis in Jesus' day uh, there, were, there were two schools of rabbis, I won't get into that. There were two arguments, I won't get into that. But a lot of Jews believed that you could, you could get divorced for a woman for what was called any cause. Anything a woman did to displease you. The, so in the law it says, if uh, I permit a divorce for a cause of sexual immorality. And some, a school of rabbis said, why, why would a cause be there? Cause of sexual morality. It seems redundant. So it must be two things for a cause or sexual immorality. And what these rabbis said was, you name the cause and you got it. You name the cause and you can put a woman away. And women, once divorced, became damaged goods. They became dependent on their extended family, but their extended family was embarrassed and shamed by them. So they lived in shame, i.e., if you don't believe me, there's no reason you wouldn't, i.e. the woman at the well in John chapter 4, who's by herself in the middle of the day because she's had a lot of husbands and nobody wants to be with her. And she doesn't want to be with anybody because when they look at her, they think, yeah, I know who she is. So Jesus, so Jesus then is pushing back against this, put away a woman for any cause. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's for sexual immorality. Now, I'll say more about that later too because we, ha- we have to... Like, this isn't the time to talk about divorce and remarriage. This just isn't the time to talk about it. But I do want to say some things because I think there's some good news for people who either have parents who are divorced like me, who've been through a divorce, or even if you're sitting here today considering a divorce, there's some good news for you. So what does Jesus say then? He says three things. My, des- my righteousness wants to get down into your desires. Verse 28. Lust, lust, lust happens in your guts, he says. The second thing he says is you're responsible for your lust, right? Stop blaming and shaming and start owning and naming. Can I get an amen, men? Can I get an amen, women? (laughs) 
Uh, this isn't just for dudes, but Jesus is talking to people with power who are using God's law to not love people in power, powerless, to, to not love the powerless. He's correcting an abuse rather than dropping a timeless teaching that we can extract and just apply. Does that make sense? And uh, your misuse of a concession God made in the law for divorce is exploiting and taking advantage of women. So again, we don't have time to teach on this, but the Old Testament uh, permitted divorce for, for essentially three reasons, for abuse, abandonment, and adultery. And if you don't believe me, and there's no reason you wouldn't, all three of those start with the letter A, so it has to be true. <laughs> it's alliterated, so it must have come off the mountains up from God. No, so, uh, so, so, God, so Jesus isn't overturning that. He's overturning the misappropriation and abuse of women with divorce. So, before we move to the next passage, covenant relationships aren't disposable. Marriages are meant to last. It takes two people, though, to want to find a way into a marriage that will last. And the question, can I legally get out of this, is the wrong stinking question. It shows that you're living in words and works, but you're not living here. Can I get out of this isn't about loving. <laughs> it's about my rights and freedoms. And rights and freedoms are a gospel. They're just not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doing what I want, getting what I want, when I want it, and not being impeded for that. There's a powerful story at work in our world that says that is the highest good. That's not the kingdom of God. There's a different kingdom associated with that. In a world where the powerful use morality to get what they want, they use a misteaching mis of an Old Testament law to dispose of women. Today we proclaim the good news that God's powerful love meets us in our wants, not to get what we want, but to transform them so we stop using God and using people. And so this oath thing that we read as well, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely or care out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say, do not swear at all, either by heaven, there's a throne of God, or earth, it's his footstool, or Jerusalem, because that's the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head. Let your, you let your yes be yes and your no be no. So this, this directly relates to, and I didn't really go into the, uh, uh, anybody who commits divorce causes the woman to commit adultery because that's connected to the previous one. Um, this directly relates to this because uh, marriage is made by what? What are you doing when you get married? You make an oath. You make an oath, right? You make an oath. So people who have given an oath in marriage and then treated it like this, that this, this Jesus is saying is treated, are, are not letting their yes be yes and their no be no. And so Jesus is saying, uh, don't have this kind of oath that means nothing and then ramp up how serious and true you are with all these swears. Now, it was, it was, uh, it was against 
Jewish law to say, I swear to God. Right? It's not against um, necessarily nine-year-old rules. Sometimes we hear that and we have to correct it. Hi, guys. Welcome. But, uh, <laughs> but it was against Jewish rules. So they would say things like this. They would say things like, um, I swear by heaven or I swear by earth, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by my head, to um, escalate how serious they were, right? Now, we do the same thing, right? We say, I swear on my mother's grave, or I promise you, or I pinky swear, Raina, right? Uh, or on my honor. But what Jesus is addressing here is that normal speech, normal speech no longer held the currency of honesty and truth. We could say something like, I'm really sorry you're having the trouble with that thing. I'd love to find a way to solve that as quickly as possible. No, you don't. You want to put me on a script and I'll be here for 30 minutes. You don't want to listen to me. Normal speech doesn't hold a currency of truth. So we have to like, we have to sort of ramp it up to persuade and convince you that I'm not going to be lying to you at this moment. Honesty wasn't assumed. Tru Friends, listen to this. This is, this is the reality Jesus is revealing. Trust needs to be hustled for. Nobody, I'm, I'm shooting straight with you. Can I, can I get real for a second? Can I just be honest for a moment? When somebody says that to me, I want to be like, how about you be honest all the time? <laughs> like, not just a moment. There's this preacher guy that I used to be in a relationship with, and he would go, can I just be honest with you guys for a second? And it was a really powerful rhetorical device in his sermons, because everybody would lean in. But like the other work it does on the backside of that is the rest of this time, I'm not really genuinely telling you what I think or feel. Or, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, it's not like we're intending to corrupt truth and honesty, but that's what happens. We lose confidence that when somebody looks at you and says, this isn't your responsibility, you don't have to do this. Or when somebody looks at you and says, it's not your fault. I know, I know you've been told that because of the way you look, you're a stumbling block to men. And that's a lie from the evil one. We have to say, I promise. I'm serious. Seriously, people. Right? Thank you, MySpace. Friends, our language is meant to connect and build trust, not to coerce and hustle allegiance. Our language is meant to secure, like, our language is meant to, like, create a safe place where we can be honest and trust each other, not as a way to hustle and hide, not as a power game. In a world where the powerful use morality, language, keeping the law, to get what they want. Today we proclaim the good news that God's powerful love meets us in our desires, our wants, to save us from using him and using other people. So what does this mean, friends? Well, uh, again, I'm always two minutes away from a rant. I'm already over time. Um, but can I just say this? <laughs> can I just say this? A 
That's, my, that's me verbally telling myself not to rant about this for 20 minutes. Not everything you've heard from me has been rubbish up until now. I'm going to try to say this in one minute. Um, women in, at the table in this room I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the message you've received from the church about how you look and your body. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not fair to you. It's abusive and oppressive. It's satanic. It's demonic that uh, if you've ever gotten the impression that your body is too much or not enough, and if you've gotten that from another Christian or another man, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Male lust is not your fault. It's not your fault. We're committed at the table of creating a culture where we honor each other and our bodies the way God created us. And we're gonna seek to live honorably with each other without threats, without religious stringent rules, and without shaming and blaming women for dudes' issues. Can I say that, Ben? I think I just did say it. Like, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. So I'm sorry. Forgive us. Uh, friends, so, um, so that's, that's one implication of this teaching for us. We want to teach men and women how to love each other. We actually believe men and women can be friends. Right? Right? We don't have to make rules because we're scared of our brokenness. We can, we can learn to meet God in our desires, in our lust or, what, or in our shame, our body shame or our lust, and we can meet God and he transformed there so that we can be friends with half the body of Christ. They're not a problem or a stumbling block. Because this, oh gosh, here we go. Because this is what it's about, friends. Like you and I have been, have been saved, invited into this kingdom, living according to this new law of love, not so just we can go to heaven when we die, but because God wants to, like, we're going to become priests and regents in the new creation. We're going to be ruling and reigning with God for eternity. And you might be standing next to somebody of the opposite sex. You might have to actually be able to be with somebody. God may even put you with somebody with the opposite sex in the, like, in the new creation alone. And you'll have to be with them and know how to love them. So we've, we've got to figure that out now. Friends, uh, in terms of leadership here at the table, um, we, want to create a, we want to create a culture where the, um, the safest place to be is in the truth. And the safest place in the kingdom of God to be is honestly right where you're at. You'll hear us say this all the time. Ben did in the call to worship today. We practice being where we really are. 
Not where you should be. So you won't hear from me when you ask me how I'm doing better than I deserve. You just won't hear that. Because <laughs> I'm never there. If I was any better, I'd be dead. You're not going to hear that from me. Now, it's okay if you say it, because if, if that's really where you are, but like where I really am, that's almost never there. And we're creating a culture where we can learn to be safe in honesty, and that starts with uh, the leadership. It starts with Ben and I, our families, and then our core team. Uh, we can't demand honesty. We can just demonstrate it. And you can meet us there if you want. And friends, so also too, uh, in this good news, we have to deal with our desire to control people and outcomes. The temptation for the religious person isn't to control people and outcomes uh, by um, robbing a bank or um, embezzling $2 million. It's to use what God has said as power over people who don't have it. That's our temptation. So for us uh, corporately, I'm going to get to my personal response, and then we're going to pray together. But uh, us corporately, like how do, um, I want to speak for part of our corporate. Like how do I use power as a white, heterosexual, cisgender Christian male in America? How do I use power every day? As that, as that person. I'm not even aware of it. it. Justine told me about a power dynamic that I was completely unaware of at her table. Completely unaware of. So how do we as a church interact uh, in love with p- people of color, with women, with people of alternative sexualities, with minority religions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? How do we do that? How do we not use religious power to marginalize them? How do we do that? For me, friends, uh, uh, I realize in my life, like, I, like there are very few people who have power over me. Part of it's my, the social location I just mentioned, being a, a white dude, Christian white dude. Christian white dudes, you know we run the world, right? Like, we're, we're not a persecuted minority. Like, we run the stinking world, and we, and we freak out if we don't have power. Which is why I don't like customer service agents, because they have the power. Which is why uh, I don't like my five-year-old shouting, stop it, to her brother 16 times before breakfast. And when I say, uh, Cece, stop, stop it, stop saying stop it. Uh, it doesn't work. And I feel powerless. And then I want to shift right to, uh, honor your father and mother! <laughs> Friends, what, uh, wh- where are you today noticing uh, in your life that you need the love of God, the love that that. F- that Uh, seeks to protect and defend the powerless rather than use and marginalize the powerless. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. This section. Where do you you need the love of God today to infiltrate your desires? Where are you in touch with your desire to control or seek outcomes? Maybe it's it's in this area that the, the example Jesus used in his day. Maybe there's some jacked up male and female stuff in your life. Maybe you come, maybe you come from 
a divorced, maybe, maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you've been divorced. And you need to know that God's kingdom of love isn't about uh, making you pay for that for eternity, but that there is forgiveness and love even if you feel like you have sinned there. That there's redemption. Right? Where are you in touch today of needing God's love to infiltrate your splachna, your gut, and change, and change your motivations, change your desires, change the way you move towards other people. For me, it's I gotta have meet with a Comcast person today. Between three and five o'clock, I'll get a, I'll get a uh, confirmation call 30 minutes before they show up. And uh, the Comcast representative told me that uh, you may or may not have to pay for, you may or may not have to pay for this visit. Uh, I can't tell you that, but you'll have to talk to the agent. And like everything in my body, in my brain, wants to power up on this guy. You're going to charge me for fixing your stuff? I already pay you 80 bucks a month. You want to go? <laughs> everything about me. Oh, and I'm righteous too, right? I'm justified. God's on my side. I don't have to love you because God's on my side. Right? That's me today. Here's a prayer in our, in our booklet. Lord Jesus, teach me how to trust your power. Teach me, teach me to trust. Scrap the how. Teach me to trust your power of love in my blank. Jesus is reorienting all these rules into being motivated and moved out of love for the powerless. I repent of seeking to control others and my outcomes. Lord, in your mercy, and then we'll all respond Hear our prayer.